according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Luke 9. Luke 9. And the last two verses here, 61 and 62. And we uh, are actually two weeks since our last class together, last week being the Schaefer uh, Theological Seminary Annual Conference. So it's been a couple of weeks. If we recall, we were uh, trying to get through the last couple of points to uh, wrap it all up. And I thought that we could, uh, if I was very quick about it, we could give you points four and five and conclude the whole thing. Well, it didn't happen. We kind of got bogged down under point four. And I thought, ah, we're within five minutes of being done with the whole thing. Well, didn't happen. And so uh, we had a week off, come back. Turns out, uh, once I started looking at point five again and really praying about it and thinking about it, um, it just seemed like there was more and more I wanted to emphasize in that point. So we couldn't have gotten through it in five minutes anyway. It's probably going to take our whole hour today to go through the material here in point five. And so that's good. That's uh, that's the way the Holy Spirit overrules and keeps me out of trouble and gets things uh, across that he wants to get across and uh, and all the rest. So we're going to take up our, our full time today and uh, on this, bringing the Galilean ministry to a close. And we are not going to even begin a look on the Perean ministry until next week. So uh, if, you, if you're all eager to uh, get the first taste of the Perean ministry, one more week to go on the Galilean ministry. And then uh, next week we'll get started on the Perean and last Judean ministry of Jesus Christ. All right. So Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 61 and 62, really the whole passage is 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And uh, that lasts as long as Jesus tells them that there's going to be some financial hardship in the process. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head and that was evidently sufficient because we don't hear another peep out of this guy and uh, somebody else jumps up in verse 59 so anyway we'll look at this again Uh, like I say it's been a couple weeks you might have thought of something else in between and so uh, in case your mind has departed into other subjects we will take time to reorient you to where we were before we do any of that though let's take time for silent prayer equipping our hearts for study shall we pray Mighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word, for the privilege we have to come together, for the uh, just the blessings, Father, of being a body in Christ and being a family together in the word. Father, uh, we're anticipating this day, that family being expanded Uh, moment by moment. We're waiting on that phone call. Uh, The safe arrival of this baby into the world is is uh, it's your business to bring this about, Father. And we're looking to you and your faithfulness. And we uh, we celebrate how faithful you are. Father, guide our study now as we open the scriptures. We're observing some followers or some would-be followers. And I pray we can learn from these examples that we might not imitate uh, what is what is wrong and that we might be imitators of what is right. And Father, if there are snares, if there are obstacles, things that would prevent us from being followers of Jesus Christ, then I pray that you would highlight those, uh, bring them to our attention so that we can remove the stumbling blocks, we can remove the obstacles and uh, be able to follow Uh, wholeheartedly in complete and total obedience. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, the cost of discipleship in five main points. Point one, this episode features three follower, what I'm calling follower candidates. They are themselves not yet followers. They want to be followers. I believe the third actually is a follower in the sense that he has been called Uh, But he has not yet started to work. He simply put his hand to the plow, but has not yet started plowing. And I've given them little titles here. You can give them your own titles. Uh, The Uncalled Volunteer. You'll notice this first guy just kind of hits him out of the blue. He wasn't called. He wasn't invited. It's kind of like, well, who are you? Why are you here? But uh, someone says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. The uncalled volunteer. And you'll get those from time to time. You get those in your churches. You get those in your 
periphery. You get those in the workplace, the neighborhood, and so forth. Someone just takes it upon themselves that they are going to be associated with you. And you kind of scratch your head and say, how did this happen? (laughs) Right? Is this a friendship? When did that get started? You know, and, and so forth. Well, in local churches, same thing. And uh, I've had it. It's, uh, the funniest thing I've, I've, I'll never forget is uh, a visitor on a Sunday morning. Didn't know her name. Didn't never saw her before. Didn't know who she was, but just a first-time Sunday morning visitor. And you get a lot of those. Uh, it's 10:45. You get a lot of first-time ever visitors. And uh, no clue who this person was or anything, but they read in the church bulletin that we had a need for Sunday school teachers. And so when class was over. She came right up to the front and, and uh, said, I, I'm willing to be one of your Sunday school teachers. And I thought, wow, uh, who are you? <laughs> you know, reached out my hand, introduced myself, said, I'm Pastor Bob, what's your name? And, uh, you know, appreciate your visiting. And uh, we, we pretty much reserve teaching for, for people we know and, and members and, you know, and so forth. Anyway, uh, and I'll never forget it. So I told her, I said, well, you know, we'll... Be glad to know you and get to know you more and more. And as you get comfortable with us and we come to know you, then, you know, there's a process for becoming a Sunday school teacher kind of thing. I, I, I was polite. I was diplomatic. It was a Sunday morning. I was in a suit and I was very kind to that woman. But what, what I wanted to say was, are you kidding? You're a total stranger right off the street. I don't know who you are. I'm going to hand my kids over to you. Forget that. All right. So there's a difference between what goes through your mind and what comes out. <laughs> anyway, that's just <clears throat> speaking the truth in love. Well, you got the uncalled volunteer. Like, who are you? And see, we want to realize that even at the great white throne, there's going to be a, a whole line of people lining up, telling Jesus all the great things they did for him. We did this. We did that. We cast out demons. We did all this other stuff. And he'll tell them, depart from me. Finish that sentence. Depart from me. I never knew you. That's right. They're not saved. But they have this compulsion. This, this uh, it's, it's part of carnality. It's a part of the sin nature. Trying to earn favor with God. Score points and whatever else. As soon as he finds out, though, that it's a hard road that could include uh, poverty, could include homelessness, could include financial uh, uh, sacrifice. Well, that's, that's something else. See. All right, the second guy I'm calling the called procrastinator, the called procrastinator, because in this case, Jesus actually does call him. Jesus, he said to another, follow me. And there's other things we could go into this. We're not going to really, we're not at all going to launch into a study on election or calling or anything like that. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we want to understand the relationship between the calling and the choosing. We understand that there's a difference in terms of being called and being chosen because of the difference in the many and the few. And so uh, you look at that and uh, he's being called and yet he, uh, he'd like to, but just not quite yet. All right. We'll get around to that someday. Well, I call him the procrastinator here, the called procrastinator. He said, uh, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And we... We looked at that, and in some cases, uh, you know, people have things they want to get to someday, just not quite yet. And the indication even being that it's quite likely that the, the man's father's not even dead yet. You know, well, how long is that going to take? You're waiting for, uh, waiting for him to linger, waiting for him to die. Waiting, you know, what is it that's keeping you from following? Then uh, the third guy here, the called hindsider. And the hindsider is influenced by the procrastinator. And this is the guy that looks back. We've got examples of that, New Testament, Old Testament. Of course, Lot's wife is the famous example in the Old Testament for looking back and the consequences that, that uh, she encountered there. Well, that's, uh, that's what we're going to deal with here today, the, the called hindsighter. Again, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And his hand is on the plow. To me, that's the most important aspect of these two verses. His hand is on the plow. So he has already been called, and he has already accepted the call, and to the point where his hand is on the plow. But then the procrastinator sparked something in his thinking that caused him to second-guess a past decision, caused him to maybe regret 
a past decision. So that's what we're going to launch into here today. At our point two, we looked at the, uh, the scribe that came forward and said, I will follow you, made an unconditional statement, an I will statement. I will follow you wherever you go. We talked about that. We talked about the I will statements and how I will statements can be diabolical, a reflection of Satan and his I will statements. An I will statement could be prideful. We're not supposed to say, I'm going to do this. Say, if the Lord wills, I will do this. That's James chapter 4. Or an I will statement may actually have some regrets in Luke 14. And actually, I list the Luke 14 passage uh, a second time down under point 5. So we'll, uh, we'll actually hit that passage again. The principle being under point 3, temporal life impoverishment is a stumbling block for certain followers. The idea of being homeless, the idea of being impoverished, the idea of suffering financially, you know, you draw a line in the sand and say, well, you know, I'm going to serve you, Lord, but only so far, right? If, uh, if there's not a financial reward, well, then it makes it pretty tough to, uh, to be a follower then at that point. You know, would you, would you uh, pastor uh, men that are in training you have to figure out at, at what point do they draw the line or do they draw the line? You know, are you going to pastor so long as, uh, as a church uh, pays your salary? At which point then do you have a minimum dollar value? See, I know a church that had a pulpit committee. They still have a pulpit committee. I shared this with a, with a group this morning. And, and they brought a man in and they, were, they he spoke for him on a Sunday and they started talking about his needs and his family and whatever else and the, the, the salary package that they had in mind and whatever. And, and uh, he just stopped him right there and said, well, I guess, uh, I guess we're done because I can't take anything under 70000 And the church kind of blinked and said, wow, <laughs> you know, we're a farm town. You might not have noticed that, but, <laughs> you know, so uh, that was it. And uh, walked out the door and he was gone. Say, Dallas Theological Seminary graduate. That's the, that's the mindset that, hey, you got that that degree you got that school that's your uh, background this is what you expect on a minimum basis well if you're not willing to minister for less than that what are you really saying all right will you will you will you still pastor if they can only pay you 40,000 will you still pastor if they only pay you 10,000 will you pastor if they can't pay you see are you doing it for the money or are you doing it in obedience to Jesus Christ and his call on your life well, for this guy, and the, uh, the thought of homelessness was, was too much. The um, couple of sub-points there, but we'll move on. Point four, <clears throat> Jesus turned to one who had not expressed such a willingness and commanded him to follow unconditionally. He actually turns to another. He said to another. Now, this is a guy that didn't volunteer. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to do it. Didn't have any pride. And he actually invites one that really wasn't intending to become a follower. And, uh, and issues there. I'm going to pass by this. The, uh, he was willing to follow someday. And we spent a lot of time talking about the some days. And how some days typically turn into never. Right? Think about, uh, do you have anything in your past you said, you know, someday I'm, I want to do that? And how many of those never happen? <laughs> Someday I want to see the pyramids. Someday I want to see the Great Wall of China. You know. Someday, whatever. Okay. Someday I'm going <clears> to <throat> see a baseball game at Yankee Stadium. Never have. My little sister got to do it. Not sure how she rates. You know. She obviously doesn't deserve to watch a baseball game at Yankee Stadium, but. I mean, after all, how, how, how much service has she done for Jesus? So, see what I'm saying? You allow pride to start affecting these kind of things, you're in all kinds of trouble. Some days uh, oftentimes never happen. The contrast there, when he says, let the dead bury the dead, he turns the contrast of the someday to the living attitude of today. And today is the day for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 
If you just allow yourself to be snared by the some days, then you're neglecting today. And there's work to be done today. When we get to point five, we, we get to the last of these guys, the guy that I called the called hindsider. Point five, slightly different from the someday follower, is the timeout follower. I do believe that this third guy, this called hindsider, has been called. He has been called and he has accepted the call. He has accepted the call at least to the point of putting his hand to the plow. But he's not a someday follower. The someday follower never has gotten even started, and he, he'll get around to it someday. But now he, that someday follower has influenced the timeout follower. So I'm calling this third guy here the timeout follower. He wants a timeout. He wants to stop the Christian way of life for a moment. You know, timeout. i got stuff to do here. I'll get back to it. I will resume the Christian walk at some point. But for now, i got these other things that, that have to get done. So, in verses 59 and 60, you have a guy who will, when it's convenient, or he will later, someday. There's things he wants to do first, like burying his father. This other guy, evidently under the influence of guy number two, says, Oh yeah, you know what? I should, ha- I should, I should do that. So another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. So, in other words, uh, not waiting for dad to die, not waiting for others to die, not waiting till they're gone. Uh, I, I can go with you, but I, I've got some goodbyes to say here first. So, let's look at it. Sub point A. This man allowed the second man to influence his thinking. This man allowed the second man to influence his thinking. Because if you think about it, his hand's on the plow. And it didn't dawn on him until he listened to guy number two that, oh, yeah, this really is goodbye, isn't it? Hadn't thought about that. He allowed the second man to influence his thinking. What are we told in 1 Corinthians 15.33? Bad company does what? Yeah, do not be deceived. If you allow the viewpoint of an unbeliever to influence your decision-making, it's not going to be a good influence. He's already serving, but comes to think of his previous goodbyes as insufficient, whatever it was. However his previous goodbyes were, maybe he didn't make any. Maybe he he got all caught up in the excitement about, ooh, I get to be a follower of Jesus, that he rushed on out without even grabbing a coat, a hat, or anything like that. And it's only now that he starts to listen to uh, the someday follower, the call procrastinator, he starts to regret and think, oh, you know what? I didn't really say my goodbyes, did I? Didn't really say my goodbyes. So he's already serving. The hand is on the plow. From verse 62. And in part, you might want to expand on the word serving there. He's already serving. Shall we say he's fixing to? He's 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 ready to start. All right. Now, to me, this is this is important on a lot of different levels, especially since we've got a training ministry going here, and part of our focus is getting these men and women, all eleven spiritual gifts, getting believers on a right start. All right. Bob, can you get me some coffee or water or anything liquid? That could be dangerous. We'll see what he brings me. Anything liquid could be motor oil. So the hand of the plow, but you're not yet pushing the plow. You're not working. You're not yet actually actively engaged. It's a, it's a time for temptation. It's a time for snare. And it should be. It absolutely should be. Because if a distraction causes a, a, a believer to, to crash and burn, it's good to know now instead of down the road. It's good to know that distractions will derail a man. Thank you. Oh, that's fine. Thanks. 
For instance, if uh, anything, money, money problems, sex, women, uh, human approbation, lust, other things, if those are the things that are going to tear a ministry apart, and, and if that's something that causes a guy to get derailed, well, then find that out early. Find it out before he's in charge of a flock. Find it out before uh, his, the consequences of his failure are destructive on a larger scale. See? And then find out if that's an area of growth that can be addressed and worked with. And we're not saying that this is a permanent uh, uh, ban, that, oh, you'll never be a pastor. But what we're saying is we're identifying it now. So that growth can take place, so that teaching can be brought to bear, so that uh, matters can be addressed, change of thinking can take place, and so forth. And then we discover, is this something that is, is, is it a besetting sin? Is it something that, that there's not any victory? Well, then we're going to delay. That's why it says, do not lay hands on a man too hastily. Let's go ahead and slow things down. Let's delay. Let's watch how this process goes. And so... Uh, We've got this guy in, the, in whatever goodbyes he thinks he needs to give. All right. He um, realizes that whatever goodbyes he had were not sufficient. First, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Well, what did you do before you put your hand on the plow? Didn't you say goodbye there? Or were you not even thinking about it? Chances are he never even gave it a thought. He was all full of zeal, all full of excitement. Oh boy, I get to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve. Never even thought about the goodbyes. See, yeah. When you when you think you're going to be a pastor, well, where do you think you're going to live? All right. You may not live anywhere near where you grew up. You may not live anywhere near family. Chances are you won't. The prophet has no honor in his own town. Typically, the you know Hugh Crowder and I talk about this. He's the Texas boy, born and raised, and God has him up in Washington State. You know, super grace blessings of paradise on earth. I'm the Washington State boy, born and raised, and you get exiled to Patmos Island or pastoring in Texas, things like that. All right? God does that deliberately. Absolutely deliberately. So, different things happen. You talk to your parents and different things, and... I try to call my folks once a week and whatever and talk to my mom and things like that. And, you know, occasionally the subject comes up. And uh, mom and dad, fortunately, they're believers. They have a divine viewpoint and they're able to say, you know what? I know you're in the will of God. I know you're uh, serving the Lord. You're pastoring. You're where you're supposed to be. You're doing what you're supposed to do. But you've got to tell yourself that every so often to remind yourself of why you are where you are and why you're not where you're not. So this guy's got to say his goodbyes, and, and maybe he said some before, but he thought they were insufficient. Okay, well, what, what do you have to do to say goodbye? Why is it so hard? What, what is it that you have to, is, is, there, is there a reason why you don't want to break away? Is there some aspect of the world you're trying to hold on to? See, this is more than just talking about ministry and, and people being pastors. This is really a, a concept in terms of salvation. What is it from your past before Christ that you're still not ready to say goodbye to yet? And why not? So, I mean, people get all kinds of goofy, dumb, cosmic ideas, right? Like uh, the idiocy that goes on with, uh, with, with bachelor parties. Do I, I mean, do I even need to say anything about that? I mean, goodness. Say, well, you know, I'm getting married. I'm going to, whatever, tie the knot. That means that, you know, I've got to say all my goodbyes now. got to live it up before it's too late. Really? Why is that? So, um, anyway, there's, there's different things. And uh, guy number three allowed the thinking from guy number two. He allowed the thinking from some, the someday follower to say, oh yeah, I didn't say all those goodbyes. And now he wants to time out. Say, Lord, I know my hand's here on the plow. Can I go ahead and can I get back to you on that? Can we postpone this? And the answer is no. You're called. You put your hand to the plow. There's work to be done. 
All right, point B. <clears throat> this man has not yet begun plowing, but he has put his hand to the plow. He's touched it. Kind of like you touched it, you bought it. <laughs> All right. Different stores, I don't know, <clears throat> the places you shop. Um, he's put his hand to the plow. I want to bring in a couple of some scriptures on this because we, we, we need to recognize ahead of time what the work is. And one of the passages that we had in Second Corinthians actually addresses this. Some point one. An intention has been stated and a good work begun, but the follow through must take place. Follow through should probably be hyphenated. The follow through must take place. Second Corinthians eight six. I really think this man here, the hand of the plow guy, <clears throat> the uh timeout follower, or the called hindsight, or whatever you want to call him. He is the vivid illustration of 2 Corinthians 8.6. 2 Corinthians 8.6, the application is the church at Corinth. It's all of the believers there under Titus' leadership. It says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, as he had previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you this gracious work as well. See, when there's a good work to be done, and when you have a stated intention, and when you begin to do something, we have that described here. The, um, the follow-up to this the, uh, comes up down in chapter 9. He says in verse 2, well, let's see, this, I don't want to read two full chapters on this, but um, before I get to chapter 9, let me look at chapter 8, verse 10. This, I think, should summarize it for us. I give my opinion in this matter, for it is to your advantage, who were the first to begin. It's the same language that we had in uh, verse Six, where he mentioned the beginning, you were the, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So before you do it, what does it start with? A desire. Yeah, you've got a will, you've got a desire, you've got a, a mental attitude or a motivation. And then the mental attitude has to be followed up with the actual pr preparation to get it done. And then that has to be followed up with actually the getting it done. And so he says... Uh, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, finish doing it also. you got to finish what you start. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. All right. And we'll have more to teach on that when we plunge into the details on Second Corinthians. Uh, down into chapter 9, you have it again with readiness in verse 2. I, I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So they had a desire, they had a mental attitude, they had a readiness, they got started, they stirred up the zeal, and then they never followed through. Reason being was a carnality plunged them into the schisms and divisions, and then... Um, the actual missionary endeavor never took place. It's probably actually a good thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ overruled and didn't allow those schismatic carnal believers to follow through on, uh, could have made a great big mess down there in Achaia. All right. So an intention has been stated and a good work begun, but the follow through must take place. Point two. An accurate recognition of the price to pay must take place. An accurate recognition of the price to pay must take place. You have to consider the cost. And you better consider the cost before your hand ever reaches the plow. Because once your hand reaches the plow, it's too late. 
Luke 14. I mentioned this comes up. We already saw it under point two. Now we're back to it again here under point five. Let's look at it. Luke 14. We can key in on a couple of places, but there is a full context to this. Large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is a rhetorical device, a a feature of rhetoric and literature, uh, but he uses what's called the contrast of extremes. And it's not hatred in an absolute scale. It's not, we, we understand this as an idiom. We understand it as, a, as an expression of rhetoric that in comparison to your love for Christ, your attitude towards everything else, then you can use the language of extreme to show the contrast. All right? And so when it comes to choosing one or the other, you understand where the choice has to come down to. You recognize that, uh, that you can put it in these vivid terms of love and hate to show the contrast by means of an extreme. This is like cutting off your hand or your foot or plucking out your eye. It uses the language of extreme to show the contrast. So, uh, obviously, we don't hate our father and mother. We're supposed to honor our father and mother. There's commandments to honor your father and mother. And uh, your wife, your husbands, you're commanded to love your wives and to lay down your life on your wife's behalf as Christ loved the church. And children, you're not supposed to hate your children. You're supposed to love your children, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Your brothers and sisters, you're supposed to love them. You're You're commanded to hate them. So you understand in every application here that the language of hatred is used as an extreme for the contrast to show the um, the priorities in discipleship, to show where, if it does come down to one or the other, how are you going to choose? What do you do if this family member where you would otherwise have normal Storgos love, you would have normal family attachments, what happens if it comes to an either-or situation? Now, Ideally, it won't be an either-or circumstance. Ideally, your family members are saved, and so you can have like-mindedness and divine viewpoint and, and not have that. But what do you do if they're, if they're not saved? Or what if they're saved, but they're not walking in the light? They're not occupied with Christ. They're not disciples themselves. They're not in the Word of God. Because non-disciple, immature baby believers are just as divisive as unbelievers when it comes to family things. See, they... Uh, can't figure out why you don't come to their gatherings on Sunday mornings, why you won't do other things. All right, so you make the choices and you understand your priorities. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's a price to pay, and the price is suffering. The price is obedience even to the point of death. And then the uh, estimation that has to take place in verse 27. Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? This is counting the cost. And maybe you're not going to build a tower, but maybe you're going to build a house or you're going to build uh, whatever. Don't you have to figure out what it's going to cost up front? We're going to build a new church building. Aren't we going to kind of figure out what what's it going to cost? Or are we just going to wing it and say, oh, we'll just keep spending money until we run out and then that's what we got. A half-finished building we can sit in that doesn't have a roof or whatever. Okay. We may actually do some of that, but we're going to do it in a planning fashion. <laughs> we're going to consider the cost, and then uh, as stewards of his grace, we'll, uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do at that point. One option may be to, uh, to put up the whole building, 9,999 square feet. We're not going to top 10,000. But have the whole building up, but only complete interior uh, in the interior finish out. that portion immediately that we need in order to relocate, to move out of here and move in there. And then we can finish the remainder of it in the uh, coming months. 
All right, so uh, consider the cost. Now, what happens if you don't? The otherwise in verse 29. When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, uh, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. Begin to ridicule him. I mentioned that uh, skinny bridge in Amsterdam. That's what happened. They started to build the bridge and they ran out of money. And so on the one bank, it's this wide. On the other bank, it's this wide. But they got about halfway across the, the river or the canal. And that's where the two sisters ran out of money. And so they finished it with this narrow little, almost like a catwalk. Just a, You can't get a vehicle across it, but you can walk across in single file. So on the edges, by the shore, it's a wide bridge for, for wagons. This was back in the... Middle Ages, you know, wide, uh, wide bridge for vehicle traffic, wagons, probably two wagons could pass on the bridge designed to be that wide, but they ran out of money. And so the only way they could finish it was just to have this narrow little section in the middle of the river connecting the wide portions, just the goofiest thing you've ever seen. And to me, it's an eternal illustration of the, uh, of the principle here. You look at it and you just laugh, you ridicule this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough? You know, only an utter fool actually goes into battle and hadn't figured out uh, where the relative strength lies. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Who has more strength? What's the advantage? What's not the advantage? And, um, you know, is, is 10,000 sufficient? Because somebody's going to come at me with 20,000? Well... 10,000 against 20,000, it might be sufficient if you can choose your ground well enough and you have the defensive fortifications in place. You know, if, if, you, if you have the right ground, 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 4 to 1, you can handle that. If the, if the setting is right, choose your ground. See, oh, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. If Stonewall Jackson had still been alive, uh, he would have chosen the ground that, that Longstreet didn't choose. Gettysburg would have been something else. In any event, Longstreet was an idiot. Um, how do I get started on that? But this is what comes to considering the cost. Because if a young man thinks he's going to be a pastor, but he's clueless as to the price to be paid, better open those eyes to see what the price is. So that he can then, in faith, in true obedience, say... Um, you know, take up his cross and follow. So, um, if you can't, if you're not going to win the fight, the king has to decide to sue for peace. Verse 33. Then, so then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Give everything away. If you don't give everything away, you're not fit. And of course, this is the mental attitude behind. The service that recognizes it's all grace, it's all the Lord's, what he chooses to give, what he chooses to take away. That's his wisdom, that's his good, that's his good pleasure. His name is blessed in every situation. But true discipleship requires that mental attitude of, of humble poverty, as we've studied in a couple of other recent applications. Point C. The initial feel... The initial feel for the implements of divine labor may spark a longing for what was let go. The initial feel for the implements of divine labor may spark a longing for what was let go. Again, point C, the initial feel for the implements of divine labor, whether it's a plow or a sword or whatever implement. Once you feel it, see, it's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to watch it, to see it. But it's entirely different when it's actually in your hand. His hand was already to the plow. The um, This is a part of, I don't know if it's a part of humanity or it's a part of uh, the nature of the, uh, the senses. 
in that we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch. But the, the idea of touching, the, the, the dominant term of this text is touching. All right? The idea of touching, actually in hand, you're not just looking at it, you're not just thinking about it, you're not just, um, you're not just uh, learning academically. Your hand is on the, on the business there, on the, on the plow. And that makes all the difference in the world. At that point, you're going to turn back. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, there's there's just something about having it in your hands. The idea of, uh, uh, like in military service, the idea of holding your rifle or the shotgun or the pistol or the machine gun or the grenade launcher or what have you. See, I tried at one point. My goal was to fire every every weapon the the army had in its arsenal. <laughs> I hit, got most of them. There were a couple of, uh, you know, stinger missiles and things that I, actually I held a stinger missile. Never got to fire one, but I got, I got to hold one. The goal was to just shoot everything. You know, if it shoots, I want to shoot it. <laughs> so, it's in your hand. And you're going to let go. The idea of letting go is not just a metaphor. Right? What are you letting go? Let's look at Matthew. We don't have to look at both of them. There's Matthew 19 and there's Mark 10. Uh, they're, they're parallel. Let's look at Matthew 19:27. We're making good time. We'll uh, might even let you out a couple minutes early. Matthew 19:27. See, you can get caught up in this. I think Peter and the disciples got caught up in it. Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will, be, will there be for us? See, this is the follow-up to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler thought he could earn his way to glory. said, You know, I'm pretty much perfect. I've done everything. Uh, you've got to take me to heaven because I'm so special. And uh, Jesus said, Yep, you're pretty close. There's just one thing left. Right? Which isn't true, but he was saying that to say, you know, this is it's a, it's a rhetorical device to say, okay, you're just lacking one more thing. All right. Jesus doesn't lie, but he uses the rhetoric here very vividly. Go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. All right. So now this man wasn't, wasn't one item close to working his way to glory. No one is. But the point being, Jesus knew the one biggest item that would be his immediate nail in the coffin, can't handle it kind of situation. And so he goes away grieving, for he was one who owed much property. None of us are going to earn our way there. There's always something where we fall short. So Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Goes on to give him the application. Now, Peter has a follow-up here, and he's not alone in this. He's just the one that voices it. And he says, behold, we. So he's not the only one with the attitude. They all, a lot of them, had this attitude. And Peter reflects that. He becomes kind of their spokesman here. But we have left everything and followed you. (laughs) So what do we get out of this? You know, are you regretting what you let go? Are you starting to have second thoughts? And maybe not down the road, but or maybe not immediately, but maybe down the road then it starts to come in. See, what happens if um, you choose a local church training ministry for your preparation? And you determine that it's the will of God. You determine that this is where the Lord would have you train. And you know that by choosing this method instead of another method, that the, the end result is you'll be trained and you'll start serving and you'll be in a church and you'll be using your gift and all these things. But you chose a route and at the end of which uh, you don't have a, a degree. You don't have the certificate on the wall. And you say, well, that's fine. Who needs that? And so you choose the route and you go get trained and you start serving. And then five years later, ten years later, you start thinking, hmm. Boy, what if? What if I would have gone to Dallas Seminary? What if I would have received my THM? What if I could have started working on a PhD? What if? And you start thinking. Is, is the Christian way of life a life of looking backwards and second-guessing decisions you made years ago? 
It is about making the, the right decision at the time in the will of God and moving forward for what he has for you. Peter here is uh, expressing some wistfulness, some regrets. Some, boy, we, we've left a lot. And uh, no. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me, meaning you've given up everything, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The apostles actually have some amazing blessings. They have rewards from both stewardships. They have their dispensation of Israel rewards for being the apostles of the Lamb during the dispensation of Israel. Of course, they also have church age rewards for being apostles in the uh, body of Christ in the, in the dispensation of the church. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my sake, notice for my sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. There is no earthly sacrifice that does not have a spiritual eternal recompense. But note that recompense is in glory, it's not in time. Don't allow these prosperity theology hucksters to say, oh, you know, give $100 and Jesus will give you $1,000 and all this filth about trying to bribe God in, in terms of money and time. Initial feel for the implements of divine labor may spark a longing for what was let go. If you're longing for what, let, what was let go, stop. <laughs> like Dr. Meisinger's video, stop it. If you're longing for what you let go, stop it. What is that to be compared? And why is your thinking affected now where you have the regrets? Stop it. You let it go. Priorities are what they are. The... Um, and then the attitude, too, I'll close with this. The attitude about, well, we left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Is that why you let it go? Is the idea of sacrifice still have in the back of your mind, what am I getting out of it? What will there be for us? Nothing at all. You didn't let it go for you. You let it go for him. So... Um, this is, the, this is the aspect that, are you familiar with uh, the, the Follow Me, the song by Ira Stanfield? I am not going to sing it for you this morning, but I, uh, I did print the lyrics off. Ethel knows it, all right. I'm going to read through it. We're, we're, we're ten minutes early, so we've got time. I'm going to read through it. Verse by verse, there's three verses. No, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but it says, uh, I travel down a lonely road. And no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back had bowed me, or bowed, bowed me, bowed me, bowed me to despair. So already, this guy's got problems. <laughs> Traveled down a lonely road. Well, who says the road's lonely? Why is the road lonely? It shouldn't be. God said he never leave you nor forsake you. If you have this sense of loneliness, it's not because the Lord abandoned you. Maybe your occupation with Christ has uh, drifted there a bit, huh? Travel down a lonely road. I, I like it. People tell me they're lonely. Really? Anyway. And no one seemed to care. Right? Oh, boo-hoo. A little pity party, and you're the only one that showed up. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to mock. Please, don't get me wrong. These are normal human emotions, okay? We all face loneliness. It's normal. It's human. We all face the idea that no one cares, okay? Normal, human. But stop it. It's normal and it's human. Our resources aren't human. Our, our, the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. All testing is common to man. All right? So take your human issues and use the divine resources. Okay, no more commentary. Just read. I traveled down a lonely road and no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And then I heard him say so tenderly. And then the second half of each verse switches to the words of Jesus and his voice. I think there's even a, in there a, a, a shift in the, in the key. No, it doesn't shift keys. It should. I'm going to rewrite the song with a key shift in there. 
And then I heard him say so tenderly, My feet were also weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy, I fell beneath the load. <laughs> you think your road's lonely? You got a cross on your back? Were you carrying it to Golgotha? How lonely is your road? My feet were also weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy, I fell beneath the load. Be faithful, weary pilgrim. The morning I can see. Just lift your cross and follow close to me. And you may not see the morning, but he does. So don't worry about it. You guys familiar with this? Have you heard this song before? No? Okay. Verse 2. Back to the pity party. <laughs> I work so hard for Jesus. I often boast and say, I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to thee. And then I hear him gently say to me, I left the throne of glory and counted it but loss. My hands were nailed in anger upon a cruel cross. But now we'll make this journey with your hand safe in mine. So lift your cross and follow close to me. And then finally, the singer gets reoriented for verse 3. Oh, Jesus, if I die upon a foreign field someday, t'would be no more than love demands, no less could I repay. No greater love hath mortal man than for a friend to die. These are the words he gently spoke to me. And Jesus concludes, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. How beautiful. But if by death to living they can thy glory see, I'll take my cross and follow close to thee. Anyway, wonderful, wonderful hymn. Ira Stanfill, uh, man's been with the Lord for some time now, but still continues to bear fruit, still continues to uh, offer encouragement, edify members of the body of Christ. We'll see if uh, John sings that occasionally, uh, every blue moon or so. I'll see if we can bump that up in the uh, in the rotation. we see if we can get that coming up here on Sunday morning. All right, any thoughts? Questions? Complaints? Financial donations? Somebody in Houston brought that up. I had a high school teacher did the same thing. Complaints? Thoughts? Questions? Financial donations? I'm sorry? The name of the hymn is called Follow Me. Yeah, Follow Me by Ira... Stanfill. I think it's Ira P. Stanfill. There's only one Ira Stanfill. This, this hymn is called Follow Me. All right. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, love, and grace. And thank you for the uh, conclusion now. It's in ministry. It's been uh, a significant number of Bible classes and, and different topics and different portions of this Life of Christ series. Uh, we thank you for bringing this to its conclusion now. We look forward to the Perean and Judean ministry which leads to the Passion Week and leads to the cross. So, Father, uh, continue to guide and direct us as we proceed forward, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.